So, good morning, Del Rey. My name is Joshua Chapman, and I serve as a pastoral assistant. I'm humbled to be before you this morning, and I'm excited to get into the text. And so with that being said, let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father, you are holy and worthy to be praised. Lord, and as the song that we just sung, we ask for you to speak to us this very morning. Lord, may we revere you. May we see you. Give us eyes to see, O Lord. And as we hear your word read and preached, may we respond with obedience. Father, it is you whom we must fear. It is you whom we must worship. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can draw near to you because of what your son has done for us. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. God, that you would give us clear minds, Lord, that we would long to hear from you. And, Lord, may I decrease. And we ask that you would fill me with your spirit and speak through your servant. For the glory of your name and for the edification of your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And so we are continuing our series, the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We'll be in verses 1 to 7. It is found in page 555 in the Pew Bible that is in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, we would encourage you to take that with you as our gift to you. And so, a few years ago, Joe Osteen's wife, Victoria, she spoke to the congregants at Lakewood Church and she said these words, when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. And so in our passage today, Solomon will make it very clear that that type of thinking and that conclusion is wrong. Is that when we come and when we gather, we gather to worship God for who he is, and it's not for ourselves, and it's not about us. But it is all about him. And so Solomon would say in our passage that when we come, we are to fear the Lord, and it is fearing him that impacts us worshiping him. And so with that being said, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, if you're able to, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. 
Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. You may be seated. And so our big idea this morning for this passage is this. Worship of God, void of the fear of God, is vanity. I'll say it again. Our big idea is this, that the worship of God, void of the fear of God, is vanity. And so in this passage, Solomon is going to show us what is wise worship and what is foolish worship. In this section, Solomon, he begins to transition and he begins to address man as worshiper. And he reveals that worship, too, can be vanity. In our passage, he uses the word fool three times. And every time he uses it, he describes the fool's sacrifice, the fool's prayer, and the fool's vows. And they are an example for us to avoid. And he gives multiple instructions and admonishments in light of how the fool approaches God. And all of it is framed in him telling us to not be the fool. And so verse 1, he says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. And so Solomon here, he knows and rightfully expects the people of it, the children of Israel, to go to the house of God to worship him and to offer sacrifices. You see, this is what a, this was part of their, their religious practices. The temple, it was, it was central to their worship. And that's exactly what the, that's another reference to the house of God. It is, it is the temple. It is the place that Solomon himself built for the Lord. And what was unique about the temple was that it was the place where God dwelled with his people. You see, God has always wanted to dwell with his people when he created the heavens and the earth and he created the Garden of Eden and placed man in that garden. You see, Eden, it was a temple sanctuary. It was where God walked with man. But when Adam disobeyed God and his sin separated him from God, Adam was exiled out of Eden. But God continued to have this plan to dwell with his people. So generations later, when the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt, and God, he redeemed his people and brought them out of Egypt, he told the Israelites to make for him a tabernacle so that he may dwell with his people. And then a generation later, as they enter into the promised land, and as they are dwelling in the promised land, and kings begin to come, and David, who aspired to build the house of the Lord, and it was his son Solomon who actually built the house, and the purpose was it so that God may dwell with his people. And so as they approach the temple, they were to approach it not casually, but they were to approach it with reverence. You see, he told them, he says, guard your steps. See, the children of Israel, they were to be careful in how they approach God because they know that God dwells there. They were to come fearing the Lord. And when the Bible talks about fearing God, it is referring to revering him for who he is, being in awe of him as he has revealed himself, adoring him because he is holy and righteous, loving him because he is worthy of our affections and we are to love him with our whole being. But it's also what comes with it. 
is being frightened by him because he is holy. And so they were to come in a manner of, of reverence and humility and gratitude, reverence because God is holy and righteous. And what that would do is that would humble them because they are unrighteous. They are unholy. They are aware of their sin as they see the holiness of God. But they would also come with gratitude because they would be just so overwhelmingly blown away that they can still have fellowship with God because God, he has instituted these laws and these sacrifices that their sin can be covered up and they can have this fellowship. And so this was the way that they were to approach the temple. They were to guard their steps. And he says that as you approach the temple, as you come, this is what you are to do. This is the better thing. He would say, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. And so as the Israelites, as they came to the temple, they would draw near to listen. They would have this posture of just wanting to hear from God. You see, at the temple, the priest, he would read the word of God, and so they would come longing to know God more. Like the song that we just sung, Speak, O Lord, that was to be the posture of their hearts, that they may know the Lord. But not only was this word uh, listen referring to the mere hearing, but it also revolves some type of response. You see, they were to listen that they may obey hearing from the word of the Lord, but also responding in obedience to what God's word says. And saints, though we do not have to come to the temple because we are part of the new covenant, that is to be our posture as well. When we come and gather on the Lord's day and we gather as a church, we too are to have the very posture of speak, O Lord. We are to want to hear from the word of the, God, of the word of the Lord and we are to respond with obedience because of his mercy towards us and out of a love for him. And he would say that this is what you are to do because this is better than what he compares it to. And he says, it is better, than, it is better to draw near to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. And so the fool, he would, they too are worshipers. The fool too is one who would come to the house of God. They would come to the temple, but the thing is they would come casually. They don't fear the Lord. And that is why their sacrifice is evil. They would offer these sacrifices, but not out of a reverence from God, not out of an awe of him, not blown away that he has been merciful towards them. They are just, they have spiritually dull understanding. And so they would just come casually, flippantly, carelessly, as they come to the house of the Lord. And what is even sadder about it is the fact that they do not understand. They do not know that what they're doing is evil. And so saints, we who are in Christ, by the grace of God, we are not the fool. We have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus. We are forgiven of our sins. We have been washed by the blood of Christ. But although we are not the fool, this instruction is for us as well because we can very easily function as the fool when we come here on Sunday morning on the Lord's Day and gather. You see, we can easily go through the motions as we sing the songs to God or to one another about God, not thinking about the truths that we're actually saying. We can go through the motions where our minds begin to wonder as the elders are praying during the Sunday morning as they are up here. 
Or we can go through the motion and not even have the posture of wanting to hear from the Lord as the word is read and preached. You see, it is very possible for us to listen to the word, be, be hearing it, but be thinking about what we did yesterday. Or even be thinking about what we're going to do when service ends. And so we can very easily function as the fool. And what Solomon is saying is that draw near and fear the Lord. Have a posture of wanting to hear from God. And then respond with obedience and don't be casual. Don't be careless. And so Solomon, he, he transitions in verse 2. He begins to talk about prayer. In verse 2, he says this, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And so Solomon, he instructs them to pray with respect and with restraint. He says, not being rash. This is what it means is that they are to not be careless and flippant with their words, but they are to be careful and thoughtful and reverential with their words as they are praying to the Lord. But not only that, but he says that that they were to pray with restraint. He says, let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. They were instructed to not be this constant babbler in prayer, uttering out many and empty words. And what he is saying here is that he is getting to the heart. Because the problem is not merely our words. He says, let not your heart be hasty. Because our words, it is a reflection of what is happening in our hearts. And what he is saying is that fear the Lord from your heart as you pray to God. And the very reason he gives it is God himself. He says, for God is in heaven and you are are on earth. And so the reason why we pray with reverence and with restraint is because the place that God dwells is so much higher than us. In fact, Solomon, he gives this comparison between God and us and lets us know how small we are before God. He says that God is in heaven. He is the king. He rules and he reigns in heaven and over all the earth. Isaiah chapter 66 verse 1, it says this, it says, thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. And so what Solomon and what Isaiah is getting at is that God is this king, and that he is to be approached with reverence in prayer, and that we, we are so much smaller than him. Think about it. God, he reigns in heaven, and he created the earth. He created it by speaking. But Solomon would say that we are on the earth, and if we go even further, we only take up very little space on this earth. And yet, God rests his feet on this earth. And so how much smaller are we to the God of the universe? Jesus gets at the very same thing as he is teaching his disciples to pray, to pray in Matthew chapter 6, where he tells them the very first few words in prayer, he would say, pray like this, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so he teaches the disciples. He says that when you pray to the Father, yes, he is your Father, but you are to approach him as where he dwells, that he is in heaven, and that you are to regard his name as holy. That you are to revere him when you pray to him. Be in awe of him and adore him and love him. 
and honor him as you come before him in your prayers. And saints, it's not just that way. Um, yeah, it's that way in our prayers, but, but we do this in real life with one another. You see, when we are around someone who we perceive to be greater than us or who we look up to or who we think is our spiritual heroes we, or, or our heroes in general, we are very careful with our words when we are in their presence. I mean, uh, a few years ago, I got to meet one of my spiritual heroes, Dr. John Piper. I was at a conference, and I was in line about to meet him. He was the keynote speaker, and I was just enamored by the reality that I'm about to meet John Piper. Like, I was excited. I was nervous. I wanted to be very careful with my words because I wanted to make it count. Like, I'm, I'm about to meet John Piper. And so the time comes, and I'm about, to, I'm about to meet him. I am next in line, and, and when it comes, I have my phone ready to, s- to snap a picture. And then uh, I began to speak to him, and all I could say to Dr. Piper was this. Dr. Piper, I love listening to Ask Pastor John. <laughs> that was all I could say to him. <laughs> it was a 10-second conversation. And all of it was because I just revered Piper so much that I just wanted to be very careful with my words. Now, if I'm going to approach John Piper in that way, who's a man whom God has created, who dwells on this earth, if I am that careful and cautious with my words with Dr. Piper, then how much more should I be careful and cautious and reverence with my words as I talk to the Lord God Almighty, the one who dwells in heaven. You see, it could be very easy for us to approach God in prayer, but not necessarily have this this reverence and this restraint and this honor as we come before him because the scriptures command us. It commands us to, to pray without ceasing. And so we can easily obey that and just pray continuously. But God is also telling us that when we pray without ceasing, we are to pray not casually. It can become easy for us to have this mindset that Jesus is our homeboy and begin to to bring him down and not necessarily revere him or revere the Father because he is our Father. What God is saying is that, yes, pray without ceasing. Pray continuously and make your requests known to him. But don't pray with empty words. Don't pray flippantly but pray with reverence and restraint because he is in heaven. What Solomon is saying is that that you are to fear the Lord as you come before him in your prayers. And that fear of God, it will shape and impact the way that we pray, so much so that Solomon says this, Therefore, let your words be few. And so as we approach him, in honor, and out of a love for him, seeing that he is holy, that we're not, but he is merciful and he has reconciled us, we are to approach him in prayer, letting our words be few. Solomon goes on in verse 3. He says, For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. You see, Solomon, he begins to talk about dreams and, and the much business that comes. And these dreams, they are great aspirations that people have. They are these, uh, these goals that they aspire for, and it is void of the fear of God. It is more so self-centered and self-focused of the very things that they want to do. 
They have big plans and they want to accomplish many great things, but it's not necessarily for the Lord and it's not worshipful, but it's for themselves. Which is why in verse 6 or verse 7, Solomon would say that it's vanity. And these dreams, it could be many things. It could be working for the government and trying to climb the ladder to make your name great. Or it could be starting a nonprofit, doing great things, but it's all about you. Your name. Your work. And, and the busyness that comes is, it is you, that you are just getting after it. You are making all kinds of plans and that you are working. You are giving yourself to these very things. And so Solomon is saying that as, as dreams come, as you have these dreams and, and it's void of the fear of God and your work is not worshipful, what comes is much business just as, as the fool opens his mouth, many words come out. And in this, Solomon, he is exhorting us to not be the fool. You see, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says this, when words are many and transgression is not lacking, yeah, well, words are many. Transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. In the context of prayer, Solomon is saying that the fool, he would just open his mouth and babble carelessly and flippantly. And he's exhorting us to not be that way. And as when, when words increase, when words are many and transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent, if that is the case as we talk to one another, how much more is it when we talk to the Lord? And so we are to fear God. We're to be reverential and humble with the Lord as we approach him in prayer. Solomon, he begins, he transitions from prayer, and he begins to talk about vows. Verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. And so Solomon, he, he knows and is aware that, that the children of Israel at the time, that they are making these voluntary promises to the Lord. And that's exactly what a vow is. You see, vows are not commanded in Scripture, but they're permissible. And, and what, when people would vow a vow, they would entreat the favor of God, giving a promise to him that if he delivers, they would do this. And it's all in response to some type of situation. You see, Hannah in 1 Samuel when she was barren, she was barren and, and praying for a child. She vowed a vow to the Lord that, God, if you, if you give me a child, I would give him back to you. I would give him to you, and he would be yours, and that he would not shave his head. He would pretty much promise a Nazarite vow. In the Lord's kindness, the Lord granted her a child, and she fulfilled it, and that's exactly what Solomon is getting at. He says that you are to pay what you vow. When you vow a vow. And, and, and the children of Israel, they would vow these vows at the temple. And there would be a, a temple official who would, who would hear these vows. They would record them. And if the vows is delayed, they will come for them and follow up with them on these vows. And so Solomon, he is getting at the reason why you are to not delay is because of God. That you are to fear God when you make these vows. Fear God when you make these promises. And you don't delay because God has no pleasure in fools. And in this, this, this verse right here, Solomon, he is echoing what God himself has said in the law. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 through 23 reads this, where God says, if you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, 
you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. And so Solomon is echoing what God has said in Deuteronomy, and he is saying that it, if you vow, don't delay. Don't be the fool. Be wise and fulfill the vow that you have made to the Lord. Verse 5, he would say that it is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Verse 6, let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. And so Solomon, he is getting that. He's saying that it is, there is wisdom in not vowing because you have not sinned. There's wisdom in not making this promise to God because you have not sinned. But if you make this promise to God, then you must fulfill it. You should, it is worse. In fact, he would say that it is sin echoing what God has said in Deuteronomy. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Do not be babbling and just making these empty promises. And when God fulfills and then you don't necessarily pay up, you don't pay what you vow before him. Using God casually and as a means to an end. Solomon is saying, do not do that. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. As I said, the messenger, the temple official, when it has been a delayed in paying the vow, he would come and he would follow up to where they will have to give an account on why they have not paid the vow that they have made. And what the man would say, the fool, he would give an excuse. And so Solomon is saying here, don't do that. Because that angers the Lord. The goal in vowing and fulfilling your vow is to please God, not to please yourself. It is not about you, but it is about the Lord and you fearing God and you paying what you vowed. He said, because if not, he says, why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? In this, he's getting at that no sin will go unpunished. An empty promise will not go unpunished that you would have to give an account, that we would have to give an account. And so he is talking to them, and this is in the Old Covenant. And for us, it, the exhortation for us is to let our yes be yes and our no be no. That we do not say yes and mean no, but that we would pay, we would fulfill, make due of the word that we have spoken. And if we have vowed but have not paid, we are to not excuse but that we are to be a people who own it, who confess it, who entreat the favor of the Lord and ask God for forgiveness. And in Solomon, he closes, he concludes with this. He says, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. And so Solomon, he, he kind of echoes what he said in verse 3, and he is talking about dreams, and as they increase, and so does the busyness increase, and, and that it is vanity, but not only that, but as a fool opens his mouth and speaks many things and irreverent things, he says that it is vanity. The fool's is worship. It is vanity. You see, the fool, he does not come, uh, he don't come to the temple revering the Lord, but in his, he offers mindless sacrifices going through the motion. 
And his prayers, it is, it is careless, and it is flippant, and he is not having reverence or restraint towards the Lord, and his, his vows and his promises that he has made to God, he delays in paying, and he does not pay it at all. And what Solomon is getting at right here, that that worship is foolish, and it is vanity. But then, he instructs us. He says, how do we not be the fool? How do we not have foolish worship? And the answer he gives, he says, fear God. Let the holiness and righteousness of God be ever before you as you approach him in, in the temple, and as we approach him here, as we approach him and worship him and listen intently that the fear of the Lord is to be rightly in front of us as we pray and as we hear God's word preached and as we respond in obedience as the vows that we make or the promises that we make and the things that we say, that all of it is to be rooted in the fear of the Lord. And so he would say, fear God. You see, saints, the bookends of this passage, it is all about fearing God. Verse 1, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Verse 7, but God is the one you must fear. The entire passage is all about fearing God in our worship of him. You see, for the Israelites in the Old Covenant, the people who Solomon is instructing, they were, they were in the Old Covenant. And so as they approached the temple, as it was central for their worship, it was, they, they would come and they would have to go through these rituals. They would cleanse themselves and they would um, just come and consecrate themselves to draw near to God. But for us, being in the New Covenant, we do not have to offer up sacrifices to appease God's wrath, and we don't have necessarily have to cleanse ourselves ritualistically so we can approach the throne or so we can approach the Lord. But in the new covenant, we have a new and better way to draw near to God. We can approach God with confidence and with awe. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23. This is how we can approach God with confidence and awe. It's not because of ourselves. It is not in and of ourselves, but it's all because of what God has done for us in Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 23, it reads this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus— by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And so the way that we can approach God is, is through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God, he made this provision for us that we could draw near only through his son, who is God, who became man. And when Jesus became man, he walked among this earth and lived perfectly. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And as, when he was on the cross, he was bearing our sin in his body on that tree. He was dying for the sin 
sins of all who would repent and believe in him, the very sins of this irreverent worship, the very sins of mindlessly going through the motions in our, on the Lord's day, the very sins of mindlessly and irreverently and babbling in prayers. He was dying for us not fulfilling the very words that we have spoken in every other sin that we have committed. He died for those sins. And when he said to tell his die, what it means that it is finished, the veil in the temple torn from top to bottom, meaning that we who are in Christ have access to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And three days later, he resurrected from the grave and offers forgiveness of sins and offers reconciliation to all who would turn from their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in him we can approach God, with confidence, not in and of ourselves, but with confidence that what God has done for us in Christ. We can approach him with reverence, seeing that he is holy, but we can approach him with humility and gratitude because Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe. That is our hope. That is our confidence that we can dwell with him and one day we will in the new heaven and a new earth when God would make all things new and the new earth would be this, this temple, this sanctuary where we would worship him and that we would be with him. And it is all, it is for all who repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus. And so if you're not a Christian, we're thankful that you're here. We're so excited that you're here. We think that there's no greater place for you to be. But we want you to know that this is who God is, that he is holy, that he dwells in heaven, that he is righteous, and that he is judge, and that he will one day judge. But not only is God holy, righteous, and judge, but he is merciful, that he can forgive sin, and he does for all who believe in Jesus. That the only reason that those who are in Christ, we who are Christians, can approach the throne, can approach God, it is not because that we are morally better than you. In fact, the only reason why is because we have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus. And so if you are here and you do not believe in Jesus, I would implore you to turn from your sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today that you may be forgiven of your sins and that you can be reconciled to God the Father and be saved and have salvation. You see, friends, if you're not in Christ, apart from him, your prayers, your singing, your giving, your offering, it is vanity. And the proper way for you to worship God, to worship God begins with you repenting of your sins and placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the rest of us who are in Christ, I have three applications for us. Number one, that we would prepare ourselves to worship the Lord on the Lord's day when we gather. And we can do this by, by studying the passage and meditating on it on Saturday, the passage that will be preached on Sunday morning. That we can spend, that we would spend time in prayer meditating on who God is and what he has done for us in Christ. May we prepare ourselves, come um, with reverence and humility and gratitude. Application number two, that we would fear God in everything that we do in our gathering, in our singing, in praying, 
and listening to the word preached and serving and partaking of the Lord's Supper, that we would all do it out of reverence for who God is, having before our minds and before our hearts that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he has forgiven us in Christ, he is merciful and gracious, that we would fear him in all that we do, that we don't do it mindlessly, that we do it out of fear, out of love, because of his love for us. And thirdly, that we would fear God and that we would offer up our lives as living sacrifices. You see, Solomon said that the sacrifice of fools, it is evil. But for us who are in Christ, we have a different sacrifice. Not bulls and not goats because Jesus himself gave himself for us. But the sacrifice that we give is our very own lives. As Michael read in Romans 12:1, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so in view of the mercy of God towards us in Christ, that we would respond with giving ourselves, that we would be renewed in our minds, that we would walk in obedience filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, all for the glory of God, because we love Him in response to His love for us. So may we worship Him and worship Him rightly, worship Him wisely, the way that Solomon is getting at. And that begins with fearing Him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We praise you that you are, Lord, in your kindness, you have opened our eyes to behold the glory of Christ and that you have forgiven us of our sins and that we can approach you with confidence through our faith in him. So, Father, we pray that we will be a people who fear you, a people who love you, a people who honor you, because you are worthy, that we would worship you in truth, that we would worship you for your glory, that you would be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name, pray all this. Amen.